Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Alex Oshmiansky, founder and CEO of the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, and Ron Harrison, Vice President of Business Development for the company. They share the impetus of the company and how they got Mark Cuban involved. Apparently, he checks his Gmail, as well as their plans to create a parallel drug supply chain, including their own PBM and manufacturing facility. All of this done in the name of drug cost transparency. Give it a listen. Okay, I am here with Dr. Alex Oshmiansky, founder and CEO of the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, as well as Ron Harrison, Vice President of Business Development. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're very excited to have you guys here. Um, We want to hear all about the Cost Plus Drug Company, as well as uh, some additional uh, new developments that have been happening there. So let's get started. Just um, give us a little bit of uh, information about the company as a whole, why you started it. Oh, sure. Uh, so my background, uh, so I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a board-certified diagnostic radiologist. Uh, and I was going through my, pac- uh, through my training and uh, saw multiple patients have bad health outcomes from being unable to afford their medicines. Uh, actually, even saw a couple patients die. Uh, from not being able to afford their medications. They weren't taking it, fell through the cracks. No one know, knew they weren't able, taking their medications because they couldn't afford it. And yeah, tragically passed away. Uh, and uh, you know that you would think that would be enough to, to set me on this sort of tirade for, mm-hmm. for many years. But honestly, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, do you remember Martin Shkreli, the, the so-called pharma bro? Absolutely. Yeah, so back in 2015, just for Anyone who may not know, he was a, sort of a social media villain of the moment. He raised the price of a, a drug called Daraprim, paramethamine, by over 5,000% overnight, uh, largely needed by indigent populations, uh, p- uh, patients with HIV, AIDS, other immunocompromising conditions. Uh, and yeah, uh, I just got very angry about that. Um, and the next day, very naively, uh, got some doctor friends together and said, we're going to start a nonprofit pharmaceutical company. We're just going to make drugs at cost, sell them at cost, and that'll be the end of it. Uh, and we tried. Uh, so for the better part of three years, uh, kind of went around hat in hand trying to raise financing for that and uh, failed spectacularly. <laughs> uh, yep, did not raise a, a single dollar outside of you know what I put in myself, um, but eventually got connected with a group of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley who periodically donate uh, to nonprofits, uh, a group called Y Combinator. Uh, and they basically said, hey, we like what you're doing. We'd like to donate, uh, but we do not think you will be able to raise enough money to get this off the ground as a nonprofit. Uh, if you reincorporate as a public benefit corporation, so a type of for-profit company with a stated public mission, uh, will invest in you like any other company. Uh, and at that point, after three years of zero success, I kind of went, well, you know, why not? Let's give this a shot. Uh, and to their credit, they were right. Uh, after a few months of working with them, was able to raise, uh, you know, what in pharma, pharmaceutical industry dollars is a small amount, uh, a little over a million dollars to get the company off the ground. Um, and yeah, about three, four months after that, I just cold emailed uh, Mark Cuban. Uh, believe it or not, he reads his cold emails from his fans and anyone who just wants to bitch him. Oh, we'll give out that address later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, M- I'm sure he won't mind. Cuban at Gmail. It's all <laughs> over the internet. If you have a business idea, you know, uh, I'm sure he'll he'll he himself will read it. Not one of his employees. Like, wow. He is always on his phone. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, he uh, donated a small amount to start with, uh, and I think just became increasingly enthusiastic about the project and allowed us to dramatically increase the, the scale of our ambitions. Uh, oh, please go ahead. Did he have, just one more question about him, did he have a otherwise interest in the healthcare or pharma space, or was he just really fascinated about what you were doing? Uh, you know, I didn't ask. Uh, I was going <laughs> to just take good enough as it was, but uh, Fair enough. I know he's done uh, studies with the RAND group on hospital pricing as well. So I, th I know his interest in is more broad in the healthcare space as a whole. Uh, you know, I, I can't read his mind, but I think part of the interest here is this was very actionable. Like this wasn't a hypothetical thing we could do if we got the right coalition together. Like this was a thing we could just go out and do. Uh, so I think that that was probably appealing. All right. So you have built something. Uh, you called it earlier a parallel supply chain in the in the drug space. So tell us about how that works and everything involved. Oh sure. Uh, so you know the initial plan was to and still is uh, to build a pharmaceutical manufacturing plant to to focus on the manufacturing of particularly high cost drugs. So. Generally, you know, biologics, rare disease, orphans, specialty products, products in shortage. Um, but it very, very quickly became apparent that uh, that wasn't enough. Uh, so we could make the drugs, but actually getting them to patients would be the hard part. Um, you know, there are so many intermediaries in the pharmaceutical supply chain uh, with their own motivations, with their own incentives that might not necessarily align with, with ours. Uh, so, you know, if we sold to pharmaceutical wholesalers, they're under no obligation to pass along the savings onto pharmacies. Similarly, pharmacies or pharmacy chains are under no obligation to pass along the savings to their consumers. And certainly uh, pharmacy benefit managers aren't under any obligation to have our products on formulary without paying them a large rebate, uh, you know, a de facto bribe effectively to, to put ourselves on their formulary. So we decided we were going to try to build all of that. Uh, so a parallel supply chain. So we are a registered pharmaceutical wholesaler uh, in all 50 states. Uh, it varies by jurisdiction, but mm -hmm. um, we launched our uh, mail order pharmacy uh, a couple of weeks ago and have had a sort of surprisingly robust response there. Just a direct to consumer cash pay pharmacy at the moment. And we even started building out our own pharmacy benefit manager so that uh, patients could access our products through insurance rather than having to, to do cash pay. So let's talk about the uh, pharmacy benefit manager a little bit, since that would be definitely of interest to our, our listeners. Uh, just talk about a little bit about your goals for that, and then we'll go into um, some of the the regs that have come down, the transparency, and, and, and your thoughts around that as well. I'll start out a little bit about the goals. I mean, essentially, we will intend to build a full-service PBM. Um, we will start with our um, cost plus direct consumer pharmacy as an employer-sponsored program, essentially overlaying our pharmacy on top of the existing PBM product that exists to allow consumers to purchase those generic medications today at a much lower cost. And um, for employers to help drive traffic and savings to our pharmacy, we can create um, you know, variable plan designs, lower copayments, preventative Rx list, or any other mechanism to help drive traffic to that pharmacy. Over time, we'll contract with um, brand name um, manufacturers, single source manufacturers, and specialty drugs. But when we do that contracting, it will be all without any type of 
uh, rebate or patient assistance program. So that net cost that we're acquiring it for is what we'll be able to sell it to the um, employer for. Yeah. So, you know, I would add sort of the reason we started it was to try to add as much transparency as we possibly could into the, the pharmaceutical or pharmacy benefit manager space. Uh, so you go and you look at the revenue chains, the revenue sources for pharmacy benefit managers now, and they're incredibly complicated. Uh, so, you know, obviously you have spread pricing, you have rebates and recent uh, policy innovations have said, you know, 100 percent spread pricing can't be a thing anymore. Uh, rebates have to be 100 percent passed through to uh, plan sponsors and the large PBMs have, have largely gone along with that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, they've started adding other revenue streams, which plan sponsors don't necessarily see. Uh, so the big three PBMs set up uh, so-called rebate aggregators. And these entities effectively touch rebate dollars first, uh, take a cut of the rebate dollars, pass them along to their parent entities, and then the parent entity passes along, quote unquote, 100% of rebates. Uh, in the meantime, an enormous amount of fees, you know, dozens upon dozens of fees have started to be implemented at the PBM level uh, as a cost to the pharmaceutical company. And in some way, are those fees just rebates with another name, potentially? Mm -hmm. um, over a third of revenue at PBMs now is actually just their internal specialty pharmacies. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot of incentive to overspend on specialty because they are the pharmacy, which is, you know, benefiting from that overspend. So essentially, we wanted to go into the marketplace with an offering, you know, 100% transparency, reveal all sources of revenue. And not only that, uh, but we pass along not just all rebates, we pass along all revenue that we see back on to our employer sponsors. Um, now, we would probably charge, uh, you know, either PMPM administrative fee uh, or fee per script, you know, whichever the plan sponsor prefers. And we would charge that, uh, you know, in our cost plus fashion. We will reveal to the public what it costs to run a PBM, what our salaries are, IT expenses. You know, our end vision is to pass along not just all rebate dollars, but, you know, all revenue dollars, fees, uh, you know, pharmaceutical effective rate clawbacks, if we get those, any source of revenue, we pass them along and just charge uh, on a cost plus basis what it costs us to run the PBM plus 15% for our services and you know, we'll kind of come up with that price annually, depending on what our expenses kind of the previous year were, would be. Uh, but as we started to go out and try to build this, uh, we went to pharmaceutical companies and we're like, hey, let's uh, let's negotiate. Let's give us, uh, you know, pricing on your drugs uh, for our transparent model. Uh, and kind of the initial feedback we got was, uh, you know, uh, we like what you're doing. We also don't like the status quo. We don't like the PBMs like we do all the work, we do all the manufacturing, all the R&D, we take all the legal liability. Why did the PBMs get 15 to 30% of the revenue? That makes no sense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are kind of bought into the system and, you know, kind of the devil, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Sort of like for us to take a risk on you, we'd like you to already have lives under management, a substantial number of lives. Uh, and we basically told them, uh, well, you know, in order to get lives under management, we need contracts with, you know, you guys and basically responded, well, you know, <laughs> no one said it was going to be easy for you to build a PBM. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so what most new PBMs do to get into the business is they piggyback or, or white label existing PBMs uh, 
and sort of uh, advertise uh, you know, their own services, maybe more transparent than other folks. Uh, but at the end of the day, they kind of have to rely on tapping into the same aggregators mm -hmm. that are set up by the big three PBMs. So they wind up, and we would have wound up being essentially a layer on top of the same PB, PBM rebate aggregators that, you know, in you, when you look at contracts with them, they won't tell you the exact rebates you're getting on each product. They'll, they'll break it down by like therapeutic class. But we wouldn't have enough transparency into that to actually pass along the transparency we wanted to our customers. So as Ron was saying, you know, as our way of hacking this chicken and the egg problem, you know, we started offering access to our pharmacy as an employee benefit. So your employees would get you go to, you know, uh, Mark or cosplusdrugs.com backslash your company name here. Uh, and all your employees would be able to order from us. Uh, we've been working with some consultancies and they've done some analyses. And it seems that we would, even with a $0 copay for your employees, uh, we would largely send you, save you 60 to 70% on your generic spend with our formulary as is with only 100 drugs, mm -hmm. uh, which just goes to show like, the level of markup at the, uh, that all these intermediaries put on even very cheap generic products. Uh, so that's sort of our starting point, 60 to 70% savings on your generic drug spend. And we are gonna add hopefully another 500 to 1,000 drugs over the next six to 12 months. Are you working with brokers or are you love to hear are you getting into that space and, and, and all that? No, absolutely. So we've had a real overwhelming response from brokers and consultants that wanna understand the program. First, just really understanding a lot of what Alex is talking about today, what does it mean to be a manufacturer, or a wholesaler, um, and then really getting into the pharmacy and how is it that they can access that pharmacy for their employers. And so um, a lot of the things that I've already talked about today and talking about with consultants is coming out of that community that they're asking for. And you can see a real demand for doing something different than what they're currently doing with their PBMs today. Yeah, I, I know that for as long as I've been doing this, this has been a huge issue for the health and benefits space. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, for all of us in America, we, we all see these drug costs, but um, definitely something that brokers have been struggling yeah. with for a long time no, for their clients. Yeah, they're, they're looking at any way to help save money for their employers and ultimately to the consumer. Um, and so this is just one more strategy that we can employ. And then over time, we really will you know, replace the current PBM system that they have today. Are these coming from, I know you guys are also, um, I'm skipping around a little bit, but you're, you're working on building your own manufacturing facility. Um, so you will really be able to streamline that process. Um, and I know that's in the works. Um, maybe you could talk about that a little bit and the role that that facility will play. And then I'm going to ask you another question um, about the kind of drugs that you'll be working on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, I think the output of that facility to start with will be largely targeted towards the outpatient, or sorry, rather the inpatient hospital market. So we'll be making rare disease, orphan products. Uh, you know, I like to say we make the drugs nobody else is willing to make. Uh, so, you know, for example, pediatric chemotherapy drugs, uh, you know, fortunately uh, is a very small market. You know, pediatric cancers aren't that common. Uh, but that also means that there's not a lot of incentive for pharmaceutical companies to dedicate supply lines to making drugs for that population. Uh, and, you know, fortunately we're in a position, we do everything cost plus, you know, we reveal our manufacturing costs, our salaries, our utility costs, everything all put together and just put a, a flat markup on top of that. So it doesn't really matter what we make in terms of our profit margin. We really focus on what we can do to, to benefit public health the most. Uh, 
So, you know, we'll have a dedicated space to make pediatric cancer drugs, uh, critical care drugs, ICU drugs, uh, ones, uh, certain specialized antibiotics uh, that... That's where I was going. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. Well, so so we've we've done some some work on um, anti antibiotic resistance and the fact that um, drug makers aren't really incentivized to work on some of these less fancy drugs and you know vaccines and and, and anti new antibiotics. So is that is that for the sake of public health, will you all be focusing on those? Absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent. You know, it's probably a little bit early for me to discuss exactly what we're doing because I don't want to announce something and then it doesn't work and, you know, we, yeah. we, look, we look silly. Uh, but we are talking to government agencies about potentially, uh, yeah, doing exactly that, working on uh, antibiotics for multi-drug resistant uh, strains of, of bacteria uh, for neglected diseases, particularly uh, diseases which are neglected in the U.S. public health system. Uh, so we do have those projects uh, immediately in the works right now. That's great to hear. And just on another public health note, um, in in reading about you know sort of the, the beginning of the company, you all focused on some underserved communities and um, the the struggles that they had with specific illnesses and the basic generic drugs that they couldn't get to to help them. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. And is that you know sort of serving um, those with healthcare disparities? Is that something that you all will be focused on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that was actually one of the, the big surprises for me from our pharmacy launch from a few weeks ago. Uh, so we were, you know, focused on, uh, you know, approximately, you know, 12 what I call ultra high cost generic drugs where we can really save people uh, a lot of money, even over, you know, the best prices that come, you know, like discount card programs. So, you know, patients with chronic myelogenous leukemia, we have imatinib at about $47 for a month supply. Uh, the AWP list price is $10,000 for a month supply. And what multiple patients have told me is their copayment. Uh, it winds up being about $3,200 for a month supply. Uh, you know, uh, AWP minus 90% sounds like a great deal. Your PBM gets you a 90% discount. Plus, you know, their cut of the rebates winds up at $3,200. But if the actual cost of the drug is $35 for a month supply, suddenly doesn't look like that great a deal. So I, I knew we would have uh, a big impact on those communities. But what surprised me genuinely was the number of patients who came to us saying, oh, no, I'm paying $200 a month for my statin. Mm -hmm. I'm paying $200 a month for my blood pressure medicine. Uh, I think we saw an employer showed us some statistics that, uh, you know, uh, rusavastatin was being adjudicated for $200 a claim, you know, a drug we offer for $10. So even the employers are getting hit by this. And, you know, if you just don't know as a patient that alternatives already exist, uh, discount count programs, or even just asking your pharmacist for the cash price, if you just naively are told, you know, okay, your, you know, generic atorvastatin is going to cost you $200. And you just go, well, I know drugs are expensive in America. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I've been startled by the amount of outreach we've had by just those groups. And certainly I feel like there's some health equity issues there that because I feel those who are more likely to overpay are those in uh, communities which are underserved and are do not have access to the same health information that other communities might. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to steal a, a final question um, from something that we heard as you were giving a speech to our folks at this legislative summit. Um, someone asked, what are the biggest threats to your vision? Because it is, it is a great vision, and I think everybody is excited about it. So how, what do you think might be a barrier and, and how are you going to overcome it for us? 
Oh, sure. Uh, so, you know, I'll give the, the same answer I gave downstairs, uh, which is, you know, we're trying to basically break up uh, a oligopoly, pseudo-monopoly, and that is a very hard thing to try to do because I do imagine, you know, probably right now we're too small for anyone to care, but, you know, if we do start getting significant traction, I anticipate significant pushback and it's hard to even anticipate what direction that pushback will take. Um, so, you know, I think the best we can do is try to form a coalition of, you know, parties who are affected by these issues. You know, I think employers are spending a disproportionate amount of their revenue on essentially payment processing for pharmaceuticals. That is, you know, $100 billion in the U.S. healthcare system, which could be put to a lot better use, uh, you know, building manufacturing infrastructure in the United States, paying your employees for to help retain them. Uh, so, you know, the more like-minded people we can get who are saying, yeah, it's, it's not worth it to, you know, pay $10 million a year for processing pharmaceutical claims. Uh, you know, the more we can withstand uh, the eventual pushback, which will come our way. Well, I wish you all the best of luck. We're excited Thank about you. the work you're doing and I appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Thank you so much. That was Dr. Alex Oshmiansky and Ron Harrison of the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Check out the rest of our podcasts at leadersedge.com or wherever you get your podcasts.